down in Dumas, Arkansas, I'm pretty sure it was, and he said, you know, the church began to grow and grow and grow. There was a revival that happened. And he says, the funny thing about it is, is I would preach on Sunday mornings, but that's, why, that's not why people were getting saved. People would come down at the altar call at the end of the service and say, I, I just I want to tell everybody that I've given my life to Jesus. Some of the stories are like this, this one guy. He said, yeah, I was out on the lake the other day, or, and, and these two guys were out there fishing. They hollered at me. And they're from this church, and uh, they started talking to me about Jesus, and I gave my life to the Lord. It was stories like that. The church just grew and grew. Why? Because people inside the church were on fire for God, and they were going outside, and they just had to tell people about Jesus. Can I tell you something? That there's no hope in the world without Jesus. Every religion out there has zero hope except for Christianity. We have a blessed hope. We have a hope that Jesus is going to return one day and that we don't just die and go into dirt, that we don't have to work our way into heaven, that salvation comes through grace alone, through Christ alone, that if we put our faith and our trust in him that we're taken care of because we can't be good enough to get to heaven. If, you're good, if you think you're good enough to get to heaven, then you need to uh, look at the seat beside you and you will realize that there's nobody else sitting in that seat beside you. All right, And it would be like you telling me that somebody is sitting next to, like, Tina over there. All right? See that seat, that empty seat right close to you? So everybody's probably got an empty seat on the right or left of you. you, you would be, there's somebody sitting. No, there isn't. That's the same way when you say that I can get to heaven because I'm good enough. You cannot be good enough. You know, that should be a relieving thought. You get that? That should be a little bit relieving that, man, I'm just not good enough but I'm still going to make it to heaven because Jesus is doing it. So we're in a sermon series, and the sermon series is called Jesus. Last week was the first week. Today is the second week of that, of that series. It's just called Jesus, and we're mostly using the book of Hebrews. We're mostly using the book of Hebrews to preach uh, through this, all right? So if you want to open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, that's where we're going to start our scripture reading this morning, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. Here's what he says. What we do see is Jesus, who for a little while was given a position a little lower than the angels. And because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. So right here, the, the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus at one point became a human. He was, he was lowered a little bit lower than the angels. And what did he say after that? Because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. And it's by God's grace that Jesus tasted death for everyone. See, we have this blessed hope because Jesus tasted death for everyone. We needed a Savior. We needed someone to take our sins away, to cover us, and to fulfill the law. Jesus didn't come to do away for, with the law. He fulfilled the law. And if we wanted to go back and we wanted to look at the Old Testament, we wanted to look at the law of the Old Testament, Jesus fulfilled that. What do you mean by fulfilled? You know, you may have heard that term a lot. Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to do away with the law. What does that mean? Well, see, somebody, something had to die so that, that we could be forgiven so that we were no longer under the curse of the old law. Think of it like this. You go to, you go to prison, and uh, you have murdered somebody, or you stole something, 
and somebody steps up and says, I'll tell you what, I will take your place. I will take your place so you can live. Matter of fact, let's make it even worse because we, we were condemned to death. The Bible says that we were condemned to death. In, in Genesis, when Adam and Eve fell, we were condemned to death. So think about it. You're, you have been convicted and you're going to death row. You're going to the electric chair. But somebody steps in and says, you know what? I will die so that you can live. I will, I will sit in that electric chair. Now, that would be unheard of. That would, that would be unheard of. People don't want to give up their own life for somebody who's done something so bad. You're a serial killer. You murdered 30 people. Who's going to give their life up for you? You go, well, I haven't murdered anybody. I, I'm, I'm not that bad. Well, that's your opinion. That's your opinion. Because to somebody else's opinion, you, you might not. I, I talk about this a lot, like on our Wednesday nights. I, I use Hitler as an example all the time. Do you think Hitler thought he was a bad person? No. Hitler thought he was doing good things. He didn't think of himself as evil. He didn't go around and go, I'm the evil Hitler, you know. No, he didn't do that. He thought that what he was doing, exterminating Jews and using, using their hair and using their skin and everything else and selling it and doing it, that it was nothing. The Jews were dogs. Who cared? So it's all perspective. We have to put it all in perspective. We say, well, I'm not a bad person. Well, you know, I can ask you this question. We can go through the Ten Commandments, and I can say, well, have you ever lied? And every one of us, come on, if you say that you haven't, then you lied just then, okay? Every one of us has lied sometime in our life, okay? You're not perfect. Have you ever, have you ever men, have you ever committed adultery? You go, no, 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 I haven't committed adultery. Have you ever looked upon a woman lustfully? That's what Jesus said. Have you ever even looked on a woman lustfully? You've already committed adultery in your heart. Have you ever murdered? I'm not a serial killer. Uh, The Bible says that if you don't love your brother, that you are the same as a murderer. So if you hate 30 people, then you're a serial killer, okay? You're just as bad as a serial killer. See, we all can try to to look at ourselves and say we're good enough. We're good enough. No, we're not good enough. No matter how good we think we are, we're still not good enough to get to heaven because heaven is perfect. Women, have you ever made your house up and you cleaned it and you, you, uh, you waxed the floors and you dusted everything off and, oh, everything's so great and everything's so nice. But there's always probably one place that you missed, and I don't know where it is, but you'll say, Oh, well, this is clean. Maybe, but did you pull the couch out? Did you pull the chair out? What's what's behind the chair? What's behind the curtains? Did you clean the curtains? Are you sure about that? You see, we could try all we want to to work as hard as we want to to be clean and good for God, and we still aren't good enough. You get that? We're still not good enough. And so Jesus had to come, verse 9 says, yes, by God's grace. See, this is what grace is. Grace is that it, we, we, we sing about his grace, but his grace is that he thought and loved us so much that he says, I will do something so that you can live. And I will do it with my own son so that you can live. Now, here's how, how much bigger God's grace is. The Bible says that before the foundations of the world, Before the world was the world, 
that Jesus already knew, that the Father already knew that Jesus would have to die so that we could get to heaven. Because why? Because we were going to fall. We were going to be imperfect. But he made the decision from the get-go that he would send his son. Jesus made the decision from the very start that he would come and he would die for our sins. That is grace. Grace has also been said, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. That spells out grace. God's riches. You got that? God's riches at Christ's expense. Think about that. Hebrews, continuing on to, to uh, verse 10 and, and through 13 there, says, God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory, and it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. Now think about this. God wanted to bring children. He wanted you and me. God wanted you and me. And so he had to send Jesus to have that happen. Otherwise, we would just be condemned to the same place that Satan and his, and his, uh, his minions have been condemned to, the fallen angels from heaven that were thrown out of heaven. We would be condemned to the same place. But God, God said, I want to have children. I want to make them into glorious creatures that are worthy to be in my presence, to be in my house. And I'm not talking about this house. I'm talking about his house in heaven. And so he said he sent Jesus through his suffering to be a perfect leader to bring them to their salvation. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. Now this is real, really cool. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Have you ever thought that if I give my life to Jesus and I accept the free gift of salvation, that I am a brother or a sister to Jesus? You ever thought about that? Have you ever just stopped and thought about that? I think a lot of times we stand around and go, oh, we're not worthy. Oh, God, we're just, we're not good, God. You know what I mean? Christians struggle with depression and struggle with problems in their life because of that. And they go, oh, I'm just not good enough. I just can't do that. You know what I mean? People sit on the, on the pew and don't do anything in church because they don't feel like they're good enough. But the scripture says that Jesus came God wanted children, so Jesus came, and because he died, and because when we give our life to him, we are made worthy to be called his brother or his sister. I don't know about you, but I will rejoice in that, that Jesus, I could call myself his brother. Now, I'm going to say he's the big brother, okay? (laughs) I'm not the big brother. I'm listening to Jesus. I'm watching Jesus. I want to follow after Jesus, but we are kin to him. The Bible says that we're heirs and joint heirs with Christ in this whole thing. We don't have to look at this as a God. Uh, My grandmother said, and I've said this before, I think my grandmother Levin said to my mom one time, boy, it seems like you have a, like you know him personally, like you just, like, like you have this personal relationship. And my grandmother's a Christian, but she hadn't had the concept down that there is a personal relationship. And my mom's like, well, yeah, of course. There is a personal relationship that we have with Jesus. See, when we, when we start to understand that there's a personal relationship that we have with Jesus, then we start to think about the things that we do. We start to think about the, the sins that we may commit, and we might start going, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. Because Jesus is my friend. He's my brother. 
I don't want to do these things to hurt him. I don't want to do these things because of the things he did for me and how he loved me and how he cared about me. I don't want to do that. We also may think of things like this. Well, I want to do more. I want to do more. If I'm an heir and join heir with Christ, I want to do more. I don't want to just, I'm not good enough. I've made mistakes in my life. I'm not good enough. Let me tell you, the Bible says that when Jesus comes into your life, behold, the old has passed away, and behold, all things have become new. So if you've given your life to Jesus, you can stand in that and say, hey, behold, my, my previous life, my past life, it's gone. Behold, everything now is new because I'm new in Jesus. He covers us and he makes us white as snow. It's like the whiteboard. You get the whiteboard and you, you mark up on it. You mark all this stuff up on it. And then you take the, the rag and you begin to wipe it off and it becomes white again. That's what Jesus did. He took and he just made everything perfect again. There's no smudges. There's no marks on it. There's no, it is so pretty. It's so beautiful. Your life in Jesus. And the thing is, the great thing is, Scripture says that nobody can take you out of Jesus' hand. Nobody can take salvation away from you. Nobody. Now, you can doubt and you can begin to, to, to walk away from Christ and do your own thing, but nobody can take salvation away from you. No matter where you go, the Bible says he's there. The psalmist says whether it's the, I think the psalmist says whether it's the depths, whether it's the depths of hell, whether it's heaven, wherever it is, nothing, no expanse can keep, keep us away from the love of God. So he said, for he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. He also said, I will put my trust in him, that is, I and the children of God that God has given me. We'll put our trust in God. See, Jesus is God, right? Understand this. Jesus is God. Everybody's heard of the Trinity, right? I'm not talking about a movie. I'm talking about the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is part of the Godhead, all right? People say, man, I'm confused. I don't understand this. Now, this I know this is a very simplistic way to look at the Trinity, but I want to give this to you to help you understand the Trinity. How, how, how do we serve one God, but wait a minute, you said there's, that sounds like three, all right? So here's a simple way. There's a lot of other ways. That, I'm going to give you a very simple, very childish way to understand this. I want you to take an egg. An egg has an outer shell, all right? It has an egg yolk, and it has an egg white, but it's one egg. All that egg makes up one. There's three pieces to an egg. All of it makes up one. So I'm just giving that simple because so, sometimes people struggle with that trinity. All in one. So Jesus is that. And so Jesus says, not only am I going to die, but I'm going to lead people. I'm going to show people. See, Jesus was showing people when he was on this earth what the Father wanted, how he wanted us to live. We can watch Jesus and we can say, hey, if I follow after Jesus, I'll be living a righteous life. Why? Because he was on earth, he became flesh, and he dwelt among us. That's what the Bible says, that, that, that he became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, when we talk about children of God, I wanted to go to a story this morning I thought that is so good and shows who Jesus really is and how much he cares, even for the lowliest of low. So John chapter 4, verse 5 through 7 it starts out like this. Jesus eventually came to Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired from the long walk, so he sat wearily beside the well. 
about noontime. And soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. All right, let's understand. A Samaritan woman. I've told you this before. I'm going to remind you. Jews hated Samarians. All right? Samaritans. They hated Samaritans. Samaritans were low. They were, they were like dogs to the Jews. They didn't want anything to do with them. So most of the time, they would travel around an area just to keep from going through that. that they, they wanted to go around these areas, okay, where the Samaritans lived. But Jesus chose to go through, and he gets there, and he sits down at the, at the well of Jacob, and the Samaritan woman comes to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. So now he's done three things at least wrong here. Number one, he's talking to a Samaritan. Number two, he's talking to a woman. You got to understand, women back then had really no rights. Number three, he's asking her to do something for him. He's not just talking to her, but he's asking her to do something for him. And that was a no-no. That was a, that was a total no-no in, the, in that time for the Jews. So he says, please give me a drink. And she said, the, the next scripture's there. The woman, verse 9 through 18, the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? He replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you, who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, and the well is really deep. Where am I going to get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer, and I will say, in chapter 3 of Hebrews, the Bible, chapter 3 of Hebrews, the Scripture says that yes, that yes, Jesus is greater than those ancestors, okay? We're not going to get into chapter 3, but it does say that. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks the water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty. It becomes fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And I love the way the New Living Translation says it, bubbling, a bubbling spring. All right, when we have salvation, it's not like, okay, I'm saved and I've got to live this horrible life. I I just got to be careful. I don't do anything wrong. I can't do anything in my life. No, when you get saved, you should be, it should be exciting. You should feel different. You should feel bubbly inside. You should feel great. No matter what you're going through, you should feel amazing. Why? Because something has changed on the inside that only can change supernaturally because of the hope, the grace, and the blood of Jesus, okay? Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. That is why we should have this bubbling spring inside of us. And there's some, there's some old kids' songs that, sings, that, that you sing that, that sings about that. I won't do that this morning. Please, sir, she said, give me this water, and I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come to get this water. Now, she's, she doesn't understand what he's saying. She's sitting there thinking, oh, man, I don't have to draw water ever again. I don't have to work. It's like a woman, I don't have to vacuum again. <laughs> no way, you know. No, that's what she's saying. She's, I don't have to come out here and do this anymore. This was her job. She doesn't have to do this anymore. So she comes, and, and so Jesus is fixing to blow, her, blow the lid off the top of this thing. He, Jesus is fixing to show her what he's talking about. And she, so he says, all right, go get your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, well, you're right about that. As a matter of fact, for you have five husbands, you have had five husbands, and the one that you're married to now, the man you're married to, he is not your husband. 
So Jesus says, go get your husband. And, and she goes, I don't know. I know that. He's not your husband. The man that you're even living with is not your husband. You've been married five times. Now, understand, you've been married five times in our society. Well, of course, it's getting where it's not that big a deal, but it's been a big deal for a long you'd be You'd be really looked down upon. Why have you been married five? Why are you living with somebody? That's number six. Why are you living with somebody you're not married to? You look down on them. But see, Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman. He is asking her for her help. He's traveling through her area, okay? He's doing all these things. Now, now not only is he talking, but he even knows that this woman has been married multiple times and is living with somebody that she, without being married to him. But Jesus is still taking time out for this woman to talk to her. See, in Hebrews, he says that Jesus came so that we could be presented to the Lord in glory, okay? That's what Jesus came. That salvation covers us and changes us so that we could be presented to the Lord in glory, that we would be glorified, that our bodies would be glorified. That old body that you're living in right now that that, that creaks and groans and you got problems, when we get to heaven, that that body's going to be glorified. We're not going to have any issues, why? Because we're going to be in a perfect place when the Lord takes us, takes us home one day, whether by death or by the rapture. We're, we're still going to have that. So he, he, he spoke this to her, and then verse 28 through 30 says, And the woman left her water jar sitting beside the well, ran back to the village, and told everybody, Come and see a man who's told me everything that I did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So they came out of the village in verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything that I did. Now, I want to say this. When the Lord speaks to us and we come to him, our testimony can be so powerful. But Jesus comes to the lowliest of low. He comes to a woman who's been married multiple times. He comes to a woman who's a Samaritan. He does things that's totally opposite. Why? Because even though he came to speak to the Jews, even though he came so that the Jews would be saved, he didn't just stop there. He said, you're just as good, you're just as worthy of my grace as all of Abraham's children. Now, what's funny is the Jews, many of the Christian Jews didn't understand this. and They got pretty aggravated and upset about it. And there had to be a lot of teaching from Paul uh, and Peter on this stuff. Paul and Peter actually got in a fight over it. But there had to be some teaching on this because they're like, wait a minute. Salvation is for the Jews. No, the salvation is for us too. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We'll be saved. And we are saved. We are transformed. And so here's this woman. He comes to her. He does this in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 through 15. says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as, hum- as a human being... Could he die? And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. What did I just say earlier? That every religion out there has no hope. When it comes to death, when it comes to dying, there's no place else for them. They really don't know what the next step is. Many of them will try to tell you what the next step is, but they don't know what the next step is. Now, we know that the next step is judgment. We're either going to go to heaven, and we're going to rule and reign with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth when he destroys us one day, or we're going to go to the place that was made for Satan 
and all the other angels that followed him out of heaven. Do you realize that hell was just not made for us? It was not made for us, but, but you know what? We have a lot of people headed that direction. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that wide is the gate and wide is the road that leads to destruction. But narrow is the gate and windy and difficult to walk is the road that leads to everlasting life. Nobody said that having everlasting life was going to be easy. Nobody said that. Nobody in the scripture, at least. There may be a preacher out there that said that, but he didn't know what he's talking about. It's narrow. Many find the wide, easy path into hell, but few find the narrow road. There was a, there was a painting picture years ago. I wish I had it. I, I, it was so cool. I think I had it in my house, if I remember correctly. If I didn't, I saw it. I think it burned up in my house. But it had a picture. That the picture was this wide road, and up on the side, it was this narrow road, and it was going up through this really rocky portion area, and that was the way to heaven. But here was this wide road, and at the end of this wide road was flames just coming up, but people were just walking right off the edge, right into those flames. You see, if we don't want to talk about Jesus as Christians, we're, we're accomplices, okay? We're allowing people to go that direction. But if we're willing to live our life out for him in front of people, and we're able to talk about who Jesus is and what he did, why, why, would, why would I believe in, in Jesus? Why would I believe in God? Because he did something nobody else did. He gave his life up so that all, he was an innocent man, and he gave it all up. Jesus at any point could have told Pilate, no, I'm not the son of God. And he would have been let go. Pilate says, well, uh, they say you're the son of God. What do you say? Jesus said, hey, you're the one who said it. (laughs) I'm paraphrasing a little bit here. But Jesus, would never, he didn't deny it. But Jesus instead took upon him everything. We prayed for healing this morning. He took stripes upon his back so that we could receive healing. You get that? You know, he took a crown of thorns on his head, and he took nails in his hands and his feet. And it, Why? For you and me and for everybody else out there. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved is what the Scripture says. It says, only in this way could he set free all who had lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. How could he do it? Because he came, he became flesh, and he he became blood. You say, Pastor, I know some of this stuff. Well, I want you to get it in your spirit. I want you to understand it when you're talking to people out there, that Jesus, God in heaven, left his glory, came down for a time, made himself lower than the angels because he became flesh and blood. He dwelt among us. He lived in this body. He did it so that we could live. There was no other option but for him to come and do that. Now, after he was resurrected, he was no longer lower than the angels. And when we're without Christ, we are lower than the angels. We, have, we don't have the power of the angels. But when we come to Christ and when we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, guess what? The angels are our servants. Talked about that last week. The angels are our servants there to watch out and protect us. What did I say a little bit ago? We are in a spiritual war. You look at the things that are going on in your life and you go, why is this happening to me? Because you're in a spiritual war. The Bible says that we do not battle against flesh and blood, but against powers and rulers and darkness in the high places. We battle against something totally different. 
We need more prayer, folks. We need to understand the Scripture better so that we can pray harder and pray smarter, okay, with intention and so that things will change. It's what I said earlier. It's not about the giveaways. It's not about the face painting. That's not. That's just something just so people know where we are, so that they can see where we are, so they don't have to be like, uh, like Juanita going around looking for this church originally, driving up and down going, where is this church? I can't find it. And she's sitting in the parking lot on a Wednesday night. She's like, Lord, show me where this church is. I believe you want me to go check it out. And then she looks up and she saw the door and she goes, oh, there it is. Praise God. You know, we don't want people to have to do that. Instead, we want people to be able to say, oh, yeah, that's where Unlimited Church is. The thing is, the reason they're going to stay and the reason we want them to stay is because God is working in their lives and God is changing their lives and God is doing new, a new thing. There's a, there's a song, a, a rap song by DC Talk. God is doing a new thing in my life, y'all. He's doing a new thing through Jesus Christ. You know, that's what we want. We want people to come in, and I want people in these seats, not to fill them up, but so that God can be working in their life. I want people to come and say, I want a place, just like Robert told his testimony, I want a place where people can come, and they can come, come down, and they can kneel down, and they say, God, I give it away. I give you my life. I want to change. I'm tired of the way I've lived, because we've got people out there that grew up in church, and now they're not in church. We've got people out there that have never been in church, and they need Jesus. This is what's important. Jesus is important. Nothing else is important but Jesus. But we fight this spiritual war because Jesus came down. But we have, we have the power. There's old, that's another old song, I'll tell you what. We, I've got the power in the name of Jesus. I've got the power. Do you believe it? I've got the power. Jesus said, these things and greater will you do. And if we begin to get in our heart and our mind and we get to get excited and we go, wait a minute, I want to see change in other people's lives. We're not having an unlimited women's conference just to say we had an unlimited women's conference. Can't even say it. We're having it because we want to see people's lives changed. And we're not doing it to make the church bigger. We're doing it to see people's lives change. Connie doesn't go out on a prayer walk just because she wants to go on a walk. She goes out to see lives changed. She prays with people. She chases them down. She does whatever she, she wants to do. She chases them down. She leaves the 99 <laughs> to go after the one. One day you're going to have like 99 people in your prayer walk, and you're going to be chasing somebody else down. I'm going after the one. We, why, why do we do what we do? Why are we so, why should we get so excited and so passionate? Why should we focus on these things? Because we want to see lives changed. Why would we want Jesus to come to earth just for us? How many of you have been to a restaurant and you go, oh my goodness, that was great. That was so good. Man, that, man. Oh, I love it. And what do you do? You go tell somebody, man, that place was great. You've got to check this place out. You've got to go check it out. It's the same way with Jesus. Man, we got the greatest thing in the world. He says that I'm giving you water. I'm I'm, I'm giving you water that will never go dry, that you will never thirst again. You're going to be filled up to overflowing like a bubbling spring inside of you. And what do we want to do? We want to sit down. No, we want to get excited and go tell other people about 
this Jesus that died for us. Now, Hebrews 2, verse 17 says, Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us. So the scripture says, in every respect, he went through the same things that you went through. He went through the same problems that you went through. He went through the same temptations that you went through, okay? So that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before the Lord. So no longer, no longer do we have to go to a place and go to a priest. We don't, you know, the Catholics go to their little confessionals, confessional, well, I don't know what to call it. They go to that stuff. And the Bible says no longer do you have to have a priest to go to. You can come directly to Jesus who then is directly speaking to God on our behalf. And if we'll start to realize that, we'll start to go, whoa, wait a minute. I do have power because I'm talking to the one. I'm talking to the key holder. I'm talking to the one who can open the door. He's got the key. All I got to do is talk to him, and he's going to talk to God. And him and God, they're like on a first-name basis up there, right? Right? They're, they're cool. I'm talking to the one who can do something about it. I don't have to go to the priest. priest doesn't have to slay an animal and throw the blood everywhere. I'm talking to the one who died for me. It says, then he could offer a sacrifice that could take away the sins of the people, which is himself. Jesus offered himself. And Hebrews verse 18 says, Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we're being tested. What did it just say? He became like us. He's done everything and went through everything that you've went through and dealt with all those temptations. Do you remember the story of Jesus? He was out there and he was, he was uh, fasting for 40 days and, and, and Satan came to him. Satan says, Hey, Jesus. See this, see this stone down here? You could turn that thing to bread and you'll be fine. And Jesus is like, no. I wasn't called here to do these things for myself. Do you realize that, Do you realize Jesus wasn't called here for himself? He didn't come here for himself. He came here for you. He says, Jesus, come up here. He took him to the high, high pinnacle. He says, look out over everything. I will let you be a ruler over this. All you got to do is throw yourself down. Jesus wasn't called here for himself. He was called here for you and for me and for everybody else out there who calls upon the name of the Lord. That is Jesus. The scripture says, if I be lifted up, if the name of Jesus, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Don't be scared to talk about Jesus. If he's in your life, don't be scared to talk about him to people. I know a lot of times we think people are going to give us a hard time or we're not going to know what to say or what to do. They're going to ask us a question that we don't have an answer for. Well, you know what? If you don't don't have an answer, just tell them, hey, I don't have the answer. I'll get back with you. And 99% of the time, the person will be like, they didn't make something up? Yeah, I'll wait for them to get back with me. Can I get back with you tomorrow? Can I get back with you next week? I, 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 I need to find that answer out. And then call me or call somebody else that you, that you trust that's spiritually grounded so that you can go back and give an answer. And then maybe you have planted that seed or you've watered that seed. Or as we talk about, what are you doing? Put, the, put that little stone in their shoe. So now they're walking around and going, oh, man, what did he say to me again? What did she say to me again? It's there, constantly thinking about it, constantly thinking about it. And you don't know what they're going through in their life. And when the Holy Spirit begins to work through you, talking about Jesus, you never know. You may say something to them. And they walk away and they go, 
but they had no idea what I'm going through. Jesus did all of this for us. We need to let other people know, too, what he has done for us. Praise God.